Romans chapter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 17, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. Romans 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that whorest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boasts of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. That's the key to this passage right there. He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So I titled the message this morning, Boasting in One's Knowledge, or You're Boasting in Christ. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to be assembled together and to open thy precious word. Father, we thank you that we can have the word of God in our own language and be able to read and study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So help us to rightly divide it today and make application to our own lives for our good and for thy glory. Lord, we do pray that there be any in our midst today who have never submitted their hearts, never been born again in the heart. I pray that the Spirit of God will work and bring conviction and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> One commentator said this, Quote, Christianity is the possession of a life and the recreation of an organism. A Christian truly begun is born, and a Christian truly continuing, continuing is living the normal expressions of this inner life, unquote. So a Christian truly begun is born, it's one that's been born again, and then truly continuing in that life is the normal expressions of that inner life. Because to receive Christ is to receive life. In other words, he, you know, a, a Christian is an organism. An organism is anything which carries out the functions of life. The sad fact today, many today who profess Christ on Sunday seem to forget on Monday. 
The average soul winner is a specialist with a 10-minute program that one-size-fits-all, refined and minimized gospel presentation that lacks a real knowledge of God, Jesus Christ, and what it means to have a relationship with Him or be born again. It's a message that I fear that Peter, James, John, Paul, and Barnabas would say is an incomplete or a false gospel. And yet many in their pride have convinced themselves, as the Jews had, that they are the children of God. We meet them all the time. They know all the right answers, at least some of them, and they think they're okay. But their life speaks otherwise. And again, a Christian truly begun is born. And a Christian truly continuing is living out the expressions of that life he has received within. So why isn't there expressions of that life within? I noticed three things here from this passage as we think about this. And, and, and of course, Paul, this passage is particularly talking about the Jews and how they rested and boasted in the law. You know, they had a knowledge of God, a zeal, but not without knowledge. And, and so as we think about that, we're going to try to make application to us today. First of all, they were resting in their knowledge. If you notice in verse 17, it says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. They rested in the law. The word restest, if you type that on a computer, you'll get spell checked because that's not the way we say things nowadays. So, but, but it means to rest upon, to lean upon, to trust to. So they were trusting in the law. He also says they, they make their boast of God. In other words, they glory in. And, and, and really the idea of boast here, or to boast is to glory in, or to, to glory in to one's advantage. And he, and, he, and he says in verse 18, And knowest his will. The word knowest means they had become acquainted with. They had become acquainted with. And approvest of things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which sit in, are in darkness. And instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. And notice this phrase, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. When Paul was writing later in this, in this epistle in Romans chapter 10, in verses 1 through 3, speaking concerning the Jews, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, they might be saved. That's chapter 10, verse 1. Verse 2 says, For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And here in chapter 2, in verse 20 again, he said they had a form of knowledge and of the truth itself. Now the word form means that just that, the mere form or a semblance of it. A semblance of it. A form begetting a thing. 
Paul later writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 says they had a form of godliness but benign the power thereof. In other words, they, they molded to and made themselves look like they were Christians but they really weren't. And in that passage he's talking about Jannies and Jambres who withstood Moses. You know, they, they had power, a form like Moses had. And they imitated Moses' miracles to a point. But then it came to a point where they could not do it because they weren't real. They didn't have the power of God. And this was Jesus' contention with the Pharisees and the Jews from day one. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. In verse 1, it says, Then came Jesus, came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were at Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress in the tradition, the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and thou and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or to his mother, It is a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So they had taken the law of God and twisted it to profit themselves to their own advantage. And they still had a form of it. You know, the, the law said you're to honor your father and mother. But you know what? To do that costs money. When your parents get old, you're supposed to look after them. You're supposed to look after them. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the law taught. But they didn't want to. They didn't want to have to look after their parents. They didn't want to. They didn't want to put out that money to take care of their parents. And so they they said they dedicated everything they had to God as a gift to God. And therefore they couldn't take the gift of God and take care of their parents. Jesus said, you twisted the law to suit your own gain and advantage. You made the law of none effect by your tradition. And see, the problem is, the root of this problem is, they honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. See, the problem is in the heart. And because they had a problem in the heart, that's why they did what they did. First John 5 says this, in verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And if there's real genuine life, in uh, the life of God in a person, it, that word life means it's active, it's vigorous. It's active and it's vigorous. And it's devoted to God. 
And 1 John 3 says that whosoever committed sin, verse 4, whosoever committed sin transgressed also the law, for the sin is a transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. This purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. His seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And, the chi- and this the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now I read all that to say this. When you have the life of God in you, you cannot continue in sin. And that's what this this passage here is teaching. When you have that which is real, the real life of God, there's going to be some expression of it. It's going to be active in your life. And you cannot continue in sin. Sin cannot be your practice. One of two things is going to happen. One of two things will happen. Either God's going to take your life, or you're going to show yourself for who you really are. And John speaks of that in chapter 2. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, they were not all of us. You know, I'm not saying a Christian can't fall into sin. But they're not going to stay there indefinitely. They're going to stay there. Because the Spirit of God is going to convict and convince. And, 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 and they will either repent or God will take their life. The wages of sin is death. And there is a sin unto death. We see these are resting in the knowledge, and they, many have a form, but it's just a form. And they have this, they have some knowledge. But they have this knowledge about life. The real life in the heart. So they're resting in the knowledge. Secondly, we see here also, not only are they resting in the knowledge, there is religious racketeering. Bear with me on this one, okay? Notice verses 21 through 23, it says, Thou therefore that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery. Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. So these that boast in the law, and they, they supposedly abhorred idols, and Paul says, Does you, do you commit sacrilege? Now some commentators said that you know, the Jews who hated idols plundered temples. Or they would use idolatry as a means of making money. 
You know, I'm told, I've never dealt in drugs, never taken drugs, but I'm told that many times drug dealers don't use drugs. They just sell it. They know. <laughs> you don't want to get hooked up on drugs, but it is a means. And many commentators believe that Jews, though they hated idols, would use idolatry in business to make money. In other words, they were using these things that God forbidden had forbidden for their own gain. The word sacrilege means to plunder. The idea is to use to your gain and advantage, and they were using to their gain and advantage the things of God. And people today use to their gain and advantage the things of God, the house of God, a profession of God. They use it to their own advantage. God calls it sacrilege. Let me, let me give you an illustration. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 6, the Bible says, And the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord unto his place, into the oracle to the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. So we're talking here about Solomon's temple, and Solomon built, when he built the temple, and then the priests brought this Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in the holy place. So the, the temple... And particularly the Holy of Holies, there's, a, there's, there's, you know, there's the outer court and then there was the, the brazen altar and behind the brazen altar there was a holy place where the, where the lampstand was and the table of showbread. And then behind that, behind the big curtain, there's the Holy of Holies. But all of this is the holy. This is, this is a holy place. Gentiles weren't allowed in there. It was, a, it was considered a holy place. The temple was considered holy to the Lord. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, again, it says in verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself as an house of sacrifice. So the temple was considered a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of reverence to God. It was a holy place. Now go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And by the way, the, ta- the, ta- the tabernacle was the same. Considered the same. It was just a movable tent that the temple took place of. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 12, we have an example of this sacrilege. 1 Samuel 2 verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. So Eli is the high priest. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. He struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So did they in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came hither. Also before the burnt, they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, which they were supposed to first burn the fat and presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. 
Wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So here you have, this is, the, this is the, the place of sacrifice, the place of reverence and worship to God, and you have these sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, who are violating and desecrating and using that as a means for their own gain. And because of it, men abhorred the sacrifice of the Lord. Abhorred it. Nobody wanted to bring their sacrifices there. Nobody wanted to come to God and worship God there because of these two guys that were supposed to be leading them in worship and reverence to God. We'll go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 45. It says, And he went into the temple, that is Jesus, began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So you come to the New Testament, and here the Pharisees, and you know those that are working in the temple, that had charge of the temple, they're doing just what Hophni and Phinehas were doing. Like, like exactly the same thing. You know, if you were if you were a commoner and you were to you were to bring your offering to them and 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 what they had was they had these money changers and so they, they would you know they would the priest was to inspect your offering or your sacrifice to make sure there was no blemish in it. Of course, they'd always find something wrong with it, so you had to buy something from them. It was a money making racket. They had turned the house of the Lord into a money-making racket, a house of merchandise. And by doing so, they had dishonored God before the world. You know, we, as God's, or people who profess, who have a mere form, can dishonor God before the world. You're on the job, and you don't care how you, how you do your job. You have a poor attitude. You're sloppy work. You're lazy. You don't care. You don't follow directions, et cetera, et cetera. You're dishonoring God. You're dishonoring God. You're a reproach to God and a stumbling block to the lost. You know, this fellow worked for us told us several times about people he, used to, he worked for in the past that were supposed to be Christians, he said. And they were stumbling blocks to him. One commentator said, quote, A mere professor whose life is not in accordance with the word of God causes the world to blaspheme God. Rob the treasury of truth by inconsistent living. Unquote. We rob it of its truth by our doubts and dishonesty. We rob it of its reverence by irreverence or don't care attitude. Whether it's at church or at school or at work, wherever it is. 
And the end of this plundering of truth is the effect it has on the world. Because the churchgoer has violated it in practice what he has professed in his worship, the world says there's nothing to be desired there. Nothing to be desired there. I mean, there is no truth. There is no sanctity. There is no reverence. It has been robbed of these sacred things by vain professors. You know, this is a fruit we're reaping in our society. You know, our culture is asking, what is truth? They're asking, is there truth? And what they are seeing many times from church people is that truth is relative. Because that is the way that many Christians live. It's all relative. What I do on Monday doesn't match up with what I say on Sunday. There are many places where people gather together on Sunday and call it church that are just places of merchandise. That's all they are. When I went, and this happens in Baptist churches, by the way. When I went to Lee, Maine, I told them straight out, you deserve to lose your nonprofit status. Because they're running a business through the church. I said, you deserve to lose it. Yeah, we even have driving church nowadays. This is in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. Quote, when most people drive to church on Sunday, it's to sit for an hour-long service on uncomfortable wooden pews. Not at Daytona Beach Drive and Christian Church in Florida. As church attendance continues to decline in the United States, some parishes are doing what they can to draw congregants, embracing social media, loosening dress codes, and even altering service times for big sporting events. At this church, people park in rows on the grass facing an altar on the balcony of an old drive-in theater. To hear the service, they switch on the radios. Pastor Bob Kemp Baird was skeptical of the church's approach when he first recruited two years ago. He, but now he says he understands the worship style works for his congregation. He said, quote, is there a feeling of the presence of the holy in this place, unquote? Is there a feeling that Christ's presence is made known? I do know it lives here, unquote. Liturgical purists might balk at worship style in, the, in which even communion isn't very communal. Parishioners in their cars drink wine from plastic ramkins with tiny rectangles of bread under their lids. As they do so, the radio pipes out instructions over organ music. Remove this inner lid and holding this cup, join me in prayer. But for the parishioners of the drive-in Christian church, the drive-up approach works. And if you watch it, if you want to go to YouTube and, and click it in, you can watch the whole thing. And while, you know, after a bit, the guy comes around in his golf cart or there's men walking around with little bags and you just put your money in it and you just drive off when you're finished. And this was a quote that I got off of YouTube by the, by the so-called pastor. He says, quote, purity of hearts is to achieve communion however fleeting it might be with the divine. This is 
blasphemous. It's business. All it is is a money-making scheme. And it's done in the name of God. And it's quite popular, things like this. See, this racketeering is plundering of sacred things for personal gain. People using the Bible for their own advantage or gain. Making the Bible or making God fit their opinion or what they want. And you're making, putting God into their little box, so to speak. And it's really idolatry. You know, we in our society, we want a God who gives us liberty to make choices, but we also want a God who can fix things for us when we get into trouble. And that's what the Jews wanted. They wanted God to fit their lifestyles, but yet deliver them from the tyranny of Rome. That's Santa Claus Christianity. And that's a deception of the devil. No, we're to adhere or obey the whole counsel of God. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's my text for my message at Calvary in the conference. You know, uh, Matthew 28, 20, it says, we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We're to teach the whole counsel of God. We're to submit to all of it. You know, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter three or chapter one verses three and four, according as he has chosen us in him before the uh, according as he has, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, we want the great and precious promises but we don't want all things that pertain to life and godliness. Because to get that required a denial of self. It requires taking up your cross and following me. Then what's in this third thing? There must be a receiving in the heart. There must be a receiving in the heart. Back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Verses 28 and 29 says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. See, the heart is the heart of the matter. I know that was a brilliant statement. It is. The question is, have you believed in your heart? The word heart speaks of the will of the character. It speaks of surrendering the will. You know, Jesus said in John 5.30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. In John 6.38, he says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
In John 10 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He doesn't push us, we follow him. It's of our own will. Because it's in our heart. Because we have the life of God there. That we will follow him. If your will is surrendered, you know, we often say in child training, when you have a little problem with your children, you spank them until their will is surrendered to you. And you know, when we receive, believe on the Lord in the heart, it's a surrender of the will. And we follow. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In John 10, 3, he said this. To him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice and he calleth, he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. So, you know, a, a, a shepherd does not herd sheep. It doesn't work. I know from experience. I haven't had much experience with sheep, but I worked for a year for the Yoder family, and they had a flock of sheep, and, they, and we had to shear them. Spring of the year, we had to shear them. I tell you what, I'd rather chase cows all day long than, than, hurt, than, than, than call sheep. And, he, and, and, and Mr. Yoder said, now, stay way back from him. You get out behind him. He said, I'm going to get a pail with feed in it, I'm going to call them into the barn. And we got a little too close. You know what happened to sheep? They bolted. They took off. No, you, you can't hurt sheep. They'll just go crazy. They will run you over. I mean, I, I mean they, they're not really that big. But, you know, cows are a lot bigger. But you can herd cows. You can't herd sheep. They have to follow you. They have to follow you. That's the only way to get them in the barn. You know, he, here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. They had this bucket of grain. And he just, I thought, this is ridiculous, but you know. I'm used to chasing cows, you know. That's the only way to get them in the barn. You can't chase them. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I call them. And they follow me. Because it's in the heart. It's in the heart. See, we must be, he must be received in the heart. What does, you know, Romans 10, 9 says that we must believe in the heart. You know, Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Thou mayest be baptized if thou believest with all thine heart. It speaks of surrender of the will. And a truly, a truly repentant and made righteous man has nothing to boast of. You know, it's been my observation and experience that the more that one grows in the truth, the more sinful he sees himself. Because you realize more and more how holy God is and, and, and the great love he had to seek a, a, a relationship with you. But you realize that, that you know, 
God is so far above us. You know, the most righteous of men have said things like this. Job 42, 5 and 6. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Remember what Isaiah said? You know, Isaiah prophesied the first five chapters about how wicked Israel was, and then the year King Isaiah died, he said, I saw also the Lord high and holy lifted up. And then he said, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Peter in Luke chapter 5 said to the Lord, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You see, there must be a receiving in the heart. Paul said here to these Jews, It's, it's not outwardly, it's inwardly. It's a circumcision is that of the heart. It's not just knowledge. It's repentance. Which is a change of mind, which is a also produces a change of action or a change of the will. Change of the will. So what are you boasting in? Your knowledge or the Lord? Are you real? Are you real? Or do you have a form? Have you believed with all your heart? Are you willing to say, not my will, but thine be done? You know, what are you? You know, sometimes I wonder, what are you seeking in Jesus Christ? A good life? A fire escape? Advantage? Friends? A spouse? I know a guy came here to church for a while. He's looking for a spouse. And believe me, I watched him. He was looking around. I guess he didn't find what he was looking for because he quit coming. People go to church for all kinds of reasons. Or are you seeking a heart-surrendered relationship with the Lord of heaven and earth? You know, are you molding yourself to God as a living sacrifice or are you trying to make God fit your ideas and ambition? You know, the Jews wanted God to fit their ideas and ambitions. But, you know, many today are doing the same thing. So what are you seeking what do you have? A real relationship with the Lord? Is it on His terms or yours? Have you truly repented and received Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Or do you just have a form?